This is a Momentum Media production. Inside Commercial Property with Rethink Investing. Australia's largest and most comprehensive podcast covering all things commercial investing. And that's what we do here on Inside Commercial Property. We cover all things commercial investing. Phil Tarrant, co-host. We've Scott O'Neill, founder, director, Rethink Investing, co-hosts the the, the Brains Trust, the smart bloke out of this outfit, uh, where we get stuck into commercial investing. Lots of feedback recently, which has been good. You would have all heard uh, last time, uh, if you did tune in, give me some details on a new commercial purchase that I'm going through, and that's just really a bit of an opportunity to to give a real warts and all example on uh, investing in, in commercial property. Uh, as most of you probably know, I've sort of got quite a big residential portfolio, uh, so picking up some commercial stuff's always been on the agenda, and uh, the team have a rethink has sorted that out. Uh, go and tune in. I'm not going to tell you uh, what the purchase is and was, um, but if you go and listen to that, uh, you'll hear all about it. But uh, a lot of the feedback, Scott O'Neill, is that um, people like the investor stories. They want to know outside of the theory and outside of the rhetoric and outside of us going on about the economy and what it all means and what it means for commercial property. They go, that's all good, but I want to hear real stories about what's going on. Yeah, that's right. I was shocked by the amount of messages we got from every level of investor. I've probably got somewhere around 50 in, okay. in the last couple of weeks. Um, like and emails to you going- Just wanting to get onto the show. Yeah. Okay. So um, I think, yeah, there's a good lineup of people we can bring in, all different backgrounds and people very relatable. And, and then, yeah, we've got all sorts. So uh, yeah, looking forward to the next few months because I think we can chat to some more people and tell their stories because they've heard ours. And um, yeah, I, I well, think- Everyone's heard your story. You wrote a book about it, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you can't hear that too often. Can't hear that too often. I'm already fatigued by it all and uh, he's always in the paper as well. When they even want some some fancy commercial property guy, they put a picture of you with your shirt off. Oh God, mate. <laughs> on the I don't know what mail. you're looking at. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I say that in jest, but Scott's pretty well regarded these days in terms of commercial buying circles. And, and this podcast, Inside Commercial Property, is uh, my opportunity, our opportunity, my and Scott opportunity to to get sort of stuck into commercial property and, and help those people, whether they're transitioning out of resi, uh, thinking of widening out their portfolio in different asset class. Um, we have a lot of people tuning in in that regard. We have a lot of diehard commercial investors that wouldn't even consider a residential property. They sort of screw their nose up at it. Maybe that's where we can probably start today. Scott, we're recording this uh, after the 50 basis point increase by the Reserve Bank at the start of June. Uh, let's cover it off before we get to our guest, Scott. What does all that mean for commercial property investors? We sort of touched on it, but mortgage is going to get more expensive. Yeah, that's right. So there's basically a, an extra cost for lending right now. Uh, all commercial investors, uh, the diligent ones at least, have predicted this for a very long time. The rates are very low. Even once the increases are hit, it's still a relatively low rate historically. And um, investors know that. And I'm on the coal face, so I don't get into the headlines as much as many other people. I'm just getting on with my day dealing with direct clients who are wanting to invest. And we're seeing overall slightly less investors out there. In terms of it, the dollar size, the entry level guys are slowing up the quickest, but the higher net worth or the above mum and dad level, that's actually increased in recent times. So in terms of our total leads coming through, the number is less, but the dollar amount is higher, which I'm quite surprised by, but it's what I would be doing if I was investing. I think it's a good time to actually negotiate a, a good deal. It's still a seller's market by a mile, but it's better to buy right now than it was probably two months ago because mm. there's just a little bit more reason for someone to sell. And 
you could just negotiate a little bit harder. So smart investors know that. They're not holding back. We buy for the long term. There is no big fall coming for commercial unless it's a completely terrible type of asset because the cash flow is still good and it can compound against the eight increased rates we're seeing. And um, there's high CPI, so that's good for rent. So high rental increases, it's still a highly positively geared asset. So the transaction makes sense day one. Investors are still buying as normal for now. What about Rizzi? Seeing it falling in the highest price markets and the highest leveraged markets. So, you know, where there's a lot of supply and reliance on first-time buyers or, you know, guys taking a 90% lend or more, they're going to fall. We're already seeing it in Sydney. You've got to remember a lot of this is off the back of a 30% growth rate in the last 12, 18 months. So if it comes back 10%, not only is that, you know, required, it's it's sensible in many yeah. areas. So I think there's going to be further falls to come, um, but I think there'll be a bounce back in, you know, in confidence as soon as a rate rise doesn't happen. So yeah. if they go in hard right now and then they don't rise for three months in a row, that will indicate the bottom of this cycle or the, you know, should I say the the height of the interest rate cycle and investors will take confidence out of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm a lot of reading I'm seeing now, Scott, they're saying that uh, all the all the inflationary pressures are starting to sort of get to its peak, right? So, you know, the justification for continued increasing a rate, who knows? But a lot of the banks are still pricing in, you know, um, another good percent in there, right? So in this particular cycle, we'll watch it um, and give some interpretation around commercial property. But irrespective, I think the best investors, your point, Scott, are the, those looking for opportunities uh, in this market and there will be opportunities uh, out there, whether it's resi or commercial, but this is obviously a commercial podcast. So it's good to actually get a, a feel, a sort of a pulse check about how investors are feeling right now, whether or not these interest rate hikes um, are going to dampen your attitude towards investment in property or put the brakes on your next commercial purchase. You can get in touch with us. Scott, the best email is? Info at rethinkinvesting.com.au. Okay. And that's where you're getting all those messages to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and look, keep messaging if you want to get into a future podcast. Like we're going to keep running this for the long term and you know we're going to mix it up as much as possible. But yeah, I like the idea of guests because, you know, it's what I was interested in when we first started listening to your podcast, Bill. Mm. You know, that, back in that, the day. Back in the day. That's what got me onto it day one. So. Yeah, real stories, real people. And I think what, you know, to that point, Scott, what um, doing podcasts and having chatting with many property investors, people have got this idea of what property investors are and look like and feel like and sound like. And uh, let me tell you, property investors is just any given Australian just getting on with it, I think. You know, one in eight Australians, I think, invest in property or somewhere other, something like that, by memory. Uh, so there is no typical property investor, and uh, they're not the guys and girls driving Ferraris, getting out with no socks on and fancy loafers. It's the the person next door is probably a, a property investor, and it's probably the person next door is you know investing in commercial property. You just don't know about it. So um, this podcast here is to try and uncover those people, those that are happy to come and have a yarn with us and share their experience. One of them is Brett Parham. He's uh, working with Scott at the moment. We've asked him onto the show. He's just kicking off with property investing. So, um, you know, just try and understand his mindset and why he's going about getting involved in commercial property. And these are the stories that everyone wants to hear. How are you going, Brett? You well? Excellent. Thank you for having me on. Is this the first time you've ever been on a podcast? Absolutely. How's it going for you so far? No, I'm not nervous at all. No? <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do for a living, Brett? Uh, so I'm an automotive spray painter. Okay. And um, predominantly working in the hail damage part of the industry. Yeah. Um, so I'll uh, float around the country following the storms around as a subcontractor. And um, yeah, look, the work certainly fluctuates most of the time. And luckily enough, I'm working in Sydney at the moment. Okay. That's why so I can where are you from? 
Where, where's I home? live in Brisbane. You're in Brizzy. So you just move around fixing cars, depending yeah. on. So do you sit there and just pray for hail? Absolutely. Yeah. But is there enough hail going on to keep you gamefully employed? Surprisingly enough. Yeah. yeah. You sort of, you know, you, you know, you tend to hear about the worst ones, you know, yeah. but there's always little ones that happen here and there and, you know, keeps us guys, you know, earning money to pay the bills. So Yeah. Okay. Praying for hail. So I used to be able to look at a cloud and look, watch, I used to, used to do a lot more surfing, um, really understanding weather patterns and stuff. You could look at things and go, okay, I know what's going on now. How do you know hail's around the corner? Oh, the clouds, just are, the clouds look green. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> clouds are, that's what I always saw, the clouds. clouds look a bit yeah. green means hell's yeah. on the way. Yeah. All right. That's normally when I go and park my if car it's under hot a shelter. and there's a big storm coming in, yeah. you know, yeah, your fingers are crossed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, um, but the way they they fix hail damage on cars now is very different than how it used to be, right? Yeah. Look, it's very quick. Yeah. Um, it's very clean. I mean, myself being a spray painter, I only really come in when the damage is much more severe. Yeah. As we were talking earlier, it's done with a like a paintless dent removal type process. Mm. And when it, the damage is more severe, the panel gets replaced and that's when I come in. Just to spray it up. So did you do a automotive spray painting apprenticeship? Is that yeah. What you did? yeah. Yeah. So I worked in the smash industry for 21 of my 24 year career. Wow. And um, yeah, branched into the hail, hail damage. And look, it's FIFO work. Mm. So you get, you know, financially compensated for being away. So you get paid well? Well, I get paid well. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. you know what? They put you up in a, like a house or they put you in a hotel. How do they, how do they, I'm just intrigued. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. A lot of people ask questions. Yeah. Um, look, being a subcontractor, I do have to pay for my own accommodation okay. and, and travel expenses. I am reasonably loyal to one company. So they yeah. do, they do look after me. But look, I mean, our, our sort of the skeleton staff for our company sort of floats around to 10 to 15 mark, but we'll certainly balloon out to about 300 staff if need really? be on a, on a bigger site. Wow. Yeah. Well, they just find like a, an old like factory and just fill it full of blokes fixing cars. Oh, because I took my car in once and that's what yeah. happened. Yeah. As we speak, there's the old GM factory in Adelaide is yeah. uh, full of hail damage cars getting repaired at the moment. And uh-huh. that's about four acres under the roof as far as I know. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of work down there at the moment. And they do, you do all the spraying, you set up like a spray booth in there and you do it all in there local, right? Yeah. 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 The, the, the companies that have the insurance contracts normally set up all the facility mm. and we'll, we'll just come in and provide the labour. What's it like being a uh, an apprentice panel beater? Is that hard going? Um, you get all the good jobs, yeah, right? Yeah, look, I think, you know, 20 years ago, I started in 98, so yeah. um, it was a lot, probably a lot more challenging back then yeah. uh, than what it is now, but talk to an apprentice now, they wouldn't think the same. But yeah, certainly less and less people are coming through in the trades these days. You know, the, the TAFE classes were 15, 20 kids back then, but mm. even when I was leaving in the early 2000s, you know, that was sort of down in the single digits. Nowadays, it's difficult to even sort of put aside the time to try and train these apprentices. Yeah. Yeah, few and far between trying to find good tradesmen these days, like any trade. I know. We need to be encouraging more people. Getting kids in university, they should just go and be doing trades. Anyway, that's uh, it's not not for this particular podcast. But just, I'm, I'm really intrigued by this. How much of panel beating <laughs> is an art and being a craftsman versus process? Like, could anyone be – like, you've got to be quite – Oh, look, creative to be a yeah. A, look, it is definitely process driven, like yeah. you said. But like, like I think anything, if if you've got you know good commitment and good work ethic, yeah. and you're going to stick it out for the long term, you'll do well. You know, but um, it isn't for everyone. Mm. It's um, especially the FIFO side of things. But um, yeah, it's it definitely much more of a process than a creative yeah. thing. Okay. Yes. Yeah, anyway, yeah, I've just I don't know intrigued. Yeah, this absolutely. Is, this is really, really, really yeah. cool. So, why commercial property? Like. 
What's going on? So do you own any other property? I only have my home, okay. which I have a mortgage on. And that's in Brisbane? That's in okay. Brisbane. And we only purchased April last year. Okay. So we got in the Brisbane market on the way up, I guess, mm. through that cycle. And we actually just relocated from Melbourne, okay. uh, just to, trying to find somewhere a bit warmer. And I did have a, a, a residential unit out in regional New South Wales for a number of years that I purchased through a residential buyer's agent a good decade ago. Zero growth <laughs> for the where, last where decade. Where, where in regional? This was out in Orange. In Orange, in okay. Orange. Yeah. So purchased during the mining boom. Mm. Yeah, probably sold an off-the-shelf type of property at the time. Was it brand new? It was not brand new. It okay. was in a complex and it was uh, newly renovated. Okay. So um, I guess I probably paid a premium for them at the time and mm. only through COVID did I experience a little bit of growth at the end and managed to shake that monkey off my back at the end of last year and and – yeah, I didn't want to put the numbers on some paper to see how much I'd lost over the decade. So you're paying a mortgage the whole way through. Were you paying off the loan or was it interest only when you had it? Uh, initially, it was interest only. Yeah. The strategy was to use that property as a, a bit of a cash flow type of property because the rent mm. was quite high at the time. Had some minor staff in there paying um, high rent and that was going to help sort of leverage into a more of a capital growth style property. And look, the rent died pretty quickly and so did my serviceability. <laughs> and um, yeah, that was sort of, that was sort of history. Got stuck. Yeah, it got stuck. Wow. Um, and yeah, so in Brisbane now, got rid of the residential property and yeah, look, just really reflecting on where I was in my life and where I'd like to be in 20 years time, mm. um, you know, potentially looking at paying down this, you know, exorbitant mortgage by working for the next sort of 20, 30 years or trying to get smart about about my finances and trying to find a way that I can help pay this mortgage down yeah, sooner. That, that, that makes sense. So you, you couldn't buy a principal place residence until you got rid of this residential? No, actually, I, I did have this property you, okay. still, this uh, little investment. Mm. And yeah, we managed to sort of save up the twenty percent we needed for this for my home. Okay, got That's our mortgage cool. and, and got in there. So you've got your home in Brazil, and you do you fly back every weekend or like most weekends, some weekends? Yeah, once every three weeks. Okay, thereabouts. You don't um, do the drive, do you? That's pretty hard going. No. no, no, I drove down. Obviously, it's handy having your car with you, but yeah. no, nah, every sort of every two weeks I'll get sort of homesick, and then by the third week I'm I'll, I'll go back for a sort of a long weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so so commercial property then is is how you're going to pay off this exorbitant uh, <laughs> principal place of resident mortgage. That that's the game plan, right? So retirement strategy is it? It is, mate. Yeah. yeah. I turned forty earlier this year, mm. and um, my parents sort of transitioning into retirement, watching them, and obviously myself following that traditional philosophy of buying a home and and working hard and paying it off with after tax dollars. It just Something just didn't add up to me, you know. So, you know, the commercial, uh, the commercial in pro investment properties and the the cash flow that it offered, initially I thought just kind of a little bit too good to be true. Mm. But after sort of doing a bit more research and and chatting to um, Maroon, uh, my buyer's agent, uh, with the help of Scott, um, realised that you know it's not a pipe dream. You know, if you sort of push hard and and work through the the challenges that you come up against, it's real. Mm. Yeah. So, um, looking forward to finalising this Getting deal. Getting something done. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And how'd you find? Like, how did you actually? F not how did you find them, but how did you actually find the guys over at Rethink uh, Investing? You just sort of stumble across them somewhere. 
remember. Look, I'd, I love a good podcast. Okay. You're a podcast, a big <laughs> yeah, podcast. I love a good podcast. Yeah. And um, I did come across the Rethink podcast. Um, I think Scott might have been about four episodes in. Yeah, okay. And uh, I thought, oh, you know, there's something in this. And so I've been listening listening, and, and I'd bought his book and read yeah, his book yeah, and yeah. a couple other books. And so got myself feeling a little bit comfortable around the, the this asset class. And in uh, February, I actually reached out to Rethink and said, you know, let's go. Let's go. Yeah. So, but so would you say you've been burned by Resi property? Like there'd be an argument to say, well, you've just bought the wrong residential property. You might be better off going down that Resi route rather than straight in the commercial. Is that is that sort of got merit to it or you just went, no, nah, you, you, you quite like commercial as an asset class because of the cash flow component of it? I think Resi's got its place mm. and I think I didn't buy well. You know, so I was burnt through choices I made, you know, yeah. a decade ago. I was given a choice back then to buy this regional resi unit or I could have bought a smaller house in Western Sydney <laughs> in 2012. Oh, I would have bought the 2012 property. Yeah, put my <laughs> hand up and say, yeah, I messed that one up. Yeah. So, so why did you choose Orange over Western suburbs of Sydney? Look, I think that the strategy I was presented, it mm. was a case of I could only afford this one in Western Sydney or we could buy two cheaper ones, one being a cash flow one, being this orange one, yeah. and then another sort of capital growth style property. And I sort of chose that strategy per se. And look, it's, yeah, it, it just didn't work out. By the way, out. there's nothing wrong with that strategy. It's just that maybe you bought the wrong place. I don't know what Scott thinks about that. Oh, look, I like the idea of buying two properties, but yeah, look, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Yeah. You know, 2012 Sydney. If we all knew that was going to happen, we'd probably load up. No, I did. Every That's bit why of I debt. bought every house I could out in the western suburbs of Sydney. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I get it. But um, look, you know, and and you know, experience is a good thing, right? It means you can. It's helped to realign your decision making. Now you're looking at commercial property as a way, sort of, that you can embark on a wealth creation. So, so you're buying inside or outside of your super for this? This is outside. Outside of super. Yeah. Okay. So you. Caught up the guys at Rethink um, back in in Feb, and you went, "Hey, I'm ready to go." What do they say? Well, there's a lot you got to do before you're ready to go. Uh, look, I probably got a bit pretty motivated yeah. uh, to get the ball rolling, so I sort of contacted Rethink and my accountant uh, and my residential broker at the same time because uh, I knew I needed to release a little bit of equity out of my home mm. uh, for the purchase. I wanted to set up this commercial purchase inside a discretionary trust structure, so that was the accountant's job. And obviously, the purchasing side of things sort of handball to rethink. So a lot of it all kind of happened at the same time, but it all happened relatively quickly. Thankfully enough, you know, I think Scott talks about a lot of, I guess, delay in sort of sourcing the right properties for people at the moment. That seemed to be the case sort of three, four months ago as well, but I was sort of lucky enough, um, around the... He's the the buyer's agent I've been working with is just absolutely fantastic, and he presented the property to me within a week. I think within a week we sort of we chatted a few times, and he sort of had an understanding of where I was coming from and what I was after. And yeah, he he presented this property to me and looked ticked a lot of boxes. Mm. And I guess that what Rethink presented to me was pretty much what the agent had presented to Rethink. As well, you know, at that stage, none of the due diligence was done, and you know, no valuations were done or anything. This stage had been a, a bit of minor negotiating at the start, but it was sort of presented to me on face value. Hey, you know, do you like the look of this property? And um, look, this property was was fantastic. Ticked all the boxes. It was well within my price range. 
I'd been given the all clear by a, a first-tier lender uh, to buy up to a one mil, and this had dropped in at, I can't remember exactly the numbers, 735, 725, something yep. like that. And um, it was an industrial warehouse in, let's call it southeast Queensland, and um, it was advertised with a, a net lease of um, 43K. Mm. And um, that all, you know, I've scribbled numbers down. That that worked really well for me. So we signed contracts, you know. We um, paid my deposit and we started rolling on the DD, started rolling on the finance. And, um, yeah, look, it was only when they rethink uh, dove right into the, the lease, the ownership structure was actually owned like a – I think Scott refers to it as like a lease back where the tenant was actually the landlord mm. and he had it in a, not sure if it was in his super, it was in a definitely in a trust structure anyway. And look, uh, alarm bells kind of was going off then, you know, because I know that in, in a lease back, you know, the lease was set up by the, the tenant mm. per se. So I thought he's, he's probably going to do that in his favor if he knows he's going to be selling this asset, you know. And um, I think after going through the DD, it was unveiled that it was actually a gross lease. So the agent had actually presented this property to rethink incorrect. It was actually a gross lease and the landlord, you know, potentially myself, was going to be liable for all of the outgoings. And it was more than the initial amount that it was advertised. But after doing all the research into the property, it was actually netting 5K less than what the agent had originally specified, coupled with the lease not having any built-in increases um, at that sort of annual birthday. Those couple of, I guess, indiscretions to the the lease found out through the due diligence was when I sort of said to Maroon, this isn't for me, mm. you know, that 5.6 net lease was actually a 5.2 and no potential increases. They had an option to extend after their three-year lease had expired, so for another three years. So I was potentially locked into this gross lease uh, for five years with you know all these, I guess, these expenses potentially starting to go up over the next few years, as we know they are and mm. have been. So I decided to exercise my due diligence clause and exit the deal. Yeah. Did they come back to you saying, oh, no, 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 let's do it cheaper or anything like that? No. Look, yeah, why? Well, I was just going to say what happened in this case because the agent, like major company and all that, presented the deal and I believe, and this is sort of off, you know, I can't prove this, but I believe the lawyer got involved in their lease and actually said, no, don't don't pay outgoings. Don't put increases. Like it really did favour the owner and yeah. it basically left the agent and and ask no room to negotiate back because like normally these things happen this is what due diligence is for especially with leasebacks we can negotiate on the lease but they just yeah they just stonewalled us mm. and it crushed the deal for the owner as well so i don't really get their commercial i guess the outcome they were looking for like they obviously don't know commercial property that well because no one's going to accept that yeah, some lawyer trying to be clever has just scuppered exactly. them really yeah, exactly so they've just wasted everyone's time yeah essentially yeah, and, and talking about wasting time, like how much time, energy, and effort did you put into it, Brett? Oh, well, it was. You already sort of thought, I've bought this place, and here we go. It's all two good. months. Two months. Two months, and obviously, I've had to pay. I had to pay for the building report. Yeah. Um, Scott's team had done the the DD, so you know there was um, some solicitor costs that you know was obviously. I wouldn't think it as down the drain, but it mm. needed to be done to unveil what was potentially uh, going to go wrong with this property. 
And the hardest thing for me, because I'm a newbie, was making the decision, is this is this normal or not? Is this right or not? And credit to Maroon as well. He sort of, we had a discussion about it before I decided to pull the pin and he sort of said to me, we've done all the research. These are the facts. You've got to make the decision. Mm. And in the, the hype of that emotion, because at, at that point of um, going through it, at that unconditional stage of that deal, it's, it's quite scary, you know. This could potentially go really bad or, you know, could go really well if this is normal. So I really did, I guess, commend Maroon and his sort of objective way of presenting it to me to say that these are the facts but I'm not going to, you know, stray you either way. Mm. Uh, whether you want to go through with it or not, it's entirely up to you. So I just I went home that night and I wrote down a few non-negotiables that I wanted out of this commercial buy and – one of them was it needed to be a net lease, and the other one it needed incremental increases built into the lease. Yeah. And we went back to the solicitor that day, presented to say, we want the lease changed <laughs> to this, to suit this, or out of the deal. And they declined, so I was out. Mm. That sounds pretty mature for a first-time commercial investor to sort of do it that way. Yeah, well, it's all about the numbers. We yeah. presented something. We, if anything, we're, we're all pretty disappointed how it came out because of the time specifically and, mm. and and the money involved in getting to that point and for someone to change the goalpost last minute it's yeah, like it's a kick in the guts for anyone yeah. so yeah. you know it was the numbers didn't stack up that's what due diligence is there for and um, that's why we never go into a deal without due diligence because commercial is so much more difficult and it is by the numbers so mm. if we're out one percent on the return that makes a big impact on the price and um if we accepted that deal, we we should have really had a pretty big price discount. Yeah, um, that was option B, but they were, they weren't doing that either. So, is this still on the market? Do you know this same property? It was always an off market deal, and this okay. is one of the problems with off market deals. Yeah. They are no frills. Sometimes there's no big fancy due diligence done on the asset to bring it to market. Mm. It's just an agent on back of the envelope scribbles, and you might get a couple of iPhone photos, and it's presented to us in a raw fashion like that. So. That's good and bad, right? That, this is the bad bit of it, but there's a lot of good about that as yeah. well. And look, 70% of what we do is off market. So yeah. this is what we're used to. And that's why we need due diligence. And I'm going to bring some numbers next podcast, like how many we actually crash yeah. as well, because there's a lot. Well, it's just the wastage, right? But it's yeah. but the process. It's just the, it's the only way it can be, because you can't say no to everything, Yeah. because then you'll lose you know, whatever the number is. It's, it's a high proportion of them settle and go really well. Mm. But- the due diligence uncovers the mess and there's always a little bit and normally it's a negotiation on price that gets yeah. you back down to where you need to be. But in this case, they just totally changed the dynamics of the uh, the lease, mm. which um, there's no coming back from that. Yeah, it's fair enough. So so that's quite disheartening, but it didn't stop you, did it? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, so, so where you're at now, you, you got anything on the bubble? Yeah, yeah, we've got something on the go. So look, not long not long after we sort of crashed that deal, I uh, was presented another one and um, it was a little bit more expensive. It was uh, 925K. It was So the bank would l- allow you to buy up to a million bucks. So Sorry, just on that, yeah. so a 70% lend or? Uh, this was actually an 80% lend with okay. ANZ. Okay. Um, so, and there's another story to this too mm. if we've got time. But look, it was a, I guess, dealing with, I'm new to this, dealing with business bankers initially, we've got, 
perhaps a, what we would almost call a verbal approval mm. from the ANZ business making saying, look, your numbers check out. We'll let you purchase up to a price of one mil with an 80% LVR. And, you know, based on that, then we can sort of go in and, you know, shuffle through whatever sort of properties I've got available. Mm. So this one sort of falled within uh, my budget too. And um, this one was over in WA. Okay. And uh, disclaimer too, this original property that I first went for, I actually lived five minutes from that place. Okay. So it was so much more it. in my comfort zone. Yeah. This one was presented to me. It's in WA. And um, it was actually two two industrial uh, units on the in the purchase, uh, single tenant. And um, uh, we started the ball rolling on that one. And it was actually presented to me with a net lease of uh, 7.12, um, which is obviously a lot higher than you know, the original one in Queensland. Mm. So we, and that's actually, I think this one was on market too. Yeah. So it's been a pretty clean one, but yeah, there was a fair bit of action on it. I believe there's probably about five other buyers put offers that day. So we had a relationship with the agent. So that allowed us to, I guess, out of good faith, get priority over, over the deal. So um, yeah, we've been able to negotiate the normal terms, like 21 days due diligence, just under a month for finance approval and it's all um yeah we're in that process right now so what is it you like about this particular asset is it anything make you nervous or it's just you said the last time around you went and sort of said what were the non-negotiables you, you haven't negotiated you haven't compromised any of those you're, you're happy with with how the deal stacks up uh well initially this sort of my non-negotiables were covered already mm. in this one i mean obviously the going through the due diligence process was going to unveil whether that was true or not but We've completed the DD now and it is a net lease. The tenant is responsible for all of the outgoings. Um, there is incremental increases built into the lease. You know, the, the tenant that's in there has been a, a, a well-established tenant that's been um, trading for decades. So that kind of all checked out. So look, the property itself just ticks all the boxes. Mm. There's, I think the only hurdle that we've had to come up against with the property itself is there's a small like mezzanine office in the corner, which doesn't have a council permit. Okay. So yeah, look, I think they're advertising and we're purchasing the property without that sort of square meterage taken into account of the price or the lease. Um, so Marona and I are actually looking at it as a potential, you know, value add. So uh, you can go and actually get it certified by council. Yeah, and we've got some sort yeah. of free square meterage there, which is great. The hurdle now with this one previously, which we've managed to sort of overcome, was because I had the ball rolling with my residential refinance to mm. release this equity and originally to go towards the deposit for this commercial property. It was all happening at the same time. And ANZ actually looked at my uh, financials, not taking into account the new investment loan, which was sort of pulled down off the equity of my home. Once we signed contracts on this new deal, uh, ANZ They'd looked at my finances. My original home loan was with ANZ and I'd pulled it out from them and went to another lender and they'd sort of noticed, oh, what's going on there? And they actually pulled back my lending LVR to 70%. They could only help with me with this property at 70%, mm. taking into account the new loan. And um, there was a bit of a – well, I didn't actually get the apology, but it sounded like it was a bit of a mistake on their behalf. I'm like, thanks very much. This has costed me a fortune. I've signed contracts. Now, you know, potentially asking me for another $90,000 to ship in, I don't have $90,000, you know. So we had to go back 
and we're, we're within our finance clause already. You mm. know, uh, we had to go back to the back to my broker and um, say let's let's look for some other lenders because this isn't going to work with ANZ. Two other lenders had sort of put their hand up and, and provide some offers to me. Uh, one at eighty percent, which is a second tier lender, and one at seventy five. And so we're going to our strategy now is to actually go through the second tier lender at eighty percent because that's all the funds I have at the moment. Can't I'm just shy of seventy five percent. So in a few months they've sort of put their hand up, say, look, we can potentially refinance this loan for you at seventy five percent, much lower rate. Yep. And you know the the property then will um, the cash flow will be looking at much healthier. Right. What then. sort of rates are they giving you? Do you remember? Uh, look, the second tier lender is not fantastic. I think the last I heard was about five point six. Okay. So look, that's a obviously an eighty percent LVR with the purchase and being a seven point one two percent net. Return. Enough fat now to cover it. There's enough, even yeah. with these, you know, recent increases and potential increases in the next few months. I'm, I'm still covered, mm. but the the lender at 75 percent sort of offered a 3.44, which is much healthier. 3.44. Mm. It's pretty good. Yeah. So second tier lender. Uh, no. That's that's Adelaide Bank. Adelaide Bank. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Can't complain. Yeah. So, uh, look, if we can manage to pull this off, um, my fingers are crossed, my toes are crossed. Yeah, we're going to be um, sitting pretty in a few months. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, interesting story. Is, is, is Brett's story pretty typical, Scott? Pretty typical. Look, I, I wanted to bring him in because of the crash sale. I think yeah. it's good for people to hear what can go wrong with with deals. You never assume any of the information's correct ever because. Uh, Nine times out of ten, there's always a variance. Yeah. Uh, very rarely do you get a perfectly clean deal that matches to the decimal point. So this is the repercussion of that. It's normally just time. You know, you don't get disheartened by it. Like I've, you know, I've personally spent, I reckon, over $100,000 on deals I haven't proceeded with mm-hmm. over the years. So it's a cost of doing business in commercial. But, you know, it, you more than make up for it with the ones you go through. And, yeah, look, I think he's ended up with a very good property like, even with that 5.7% rate, that 925 grand purchase would clear about 23,000 at an 80% mortgage. So for people worried about increased rates, like, you know, you're clearing $23,000 on a sub mill positive, it's a good result. And if he's getting a more standard rate, the cash flow is going to be around 45 grand clear. Yeah. You know, if you're around that sort of three and a half type. So, so the thing, one of the measurements some investors might want to do is that how far can rates go up before you into a negative equity position, right? Yeah. And with this deal, they're probably about 9%, right? Exactly. There, so thereabouts. Hence why people are still buying commercial property in yeah. droves at the moment. So if you're paying 9% on your mortgage, you still hold the property essentially. Yeah. You might, well, you might be getting capital growth. If it's that, that, that and, and imagine if it went to 9%, like Australia would implode. There yeah. would be an economic disaster. It just simply won't get to that point. There's... Mm. No greater benefit for the RBA to do that. No, and and well, so I'm only reading today the the new federal government under Albanese reinforcing this uh, scheme to pony up between thirty and forty percent of the equity to help the Aussies get in the property. Like then they're, they're not going to want property values to go back. They're going to be the biggest biggest property investor in Australia. <laughs> really, what's it up to ten thousand properties a year or something other? Yeah, 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 exactly. It's a big yeah. bananas. Australia it relies on property for a big part of its economy. It's mm. um. You know, as mining is, there's certain things that will keep us afloat. And uh, I'm, I'm of the opinion there's going to be a bounce back pretty soon. You know, once, you know, if we're looking at the stock market getting to new lows, there's there's a lot of equity yet to go back into that. So, 
you know, we'll see. I'll probably eat my words, but um, yeah, I've said I've read a few articles this morning. They're predicting things to go a little bit further south before a bit of a ramp up. But good thing with commercial properties, we don't need any of that. It is stable. Mm. It's relatively low debt, and um, the debts we're talking today are, are the highest we see. You know, into, like most of the property market out there is less than fifty percent debt with commercial. You know, I know most properties we purchase from individuals have almost no debt on it. Like, you know, $5 million purchases, no debt. Mm. It's because there's some, you know, I'm stereotyping. It's some old bloke bought a property 20 years ago, sat on it, and now he's um, of age and he's selling up. Yeah. And he's got no debt on it, but he's got a large amount equity. Uh, to equity to sell off and yeah. pay capital gains tax on. Is that you, Brett? Is that going to be you, mate? What's going to be going to be a property bazillionaire at some point? Oh, one step at a time, mate. No. But what's the game plan? Just to, just set yourself up with um, income-producing assets so when you choose to stop working, you sort of can. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I think first first box to tick is to have my mortgage covered. Mm. Once we've finished our finance strategy with this property, it's covered. Look, if I can replicate this, you know, a couple of times over the next 10 years, I'm, I'm doing a lot better than most, yeah. you know. But um, no one wants to work forever and everyone wants their time back. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's the plan. Sounds pretty good. And I guess sort of, you know, well, you, you start a lot younger, but 40 is a good age to get going, right? It's never never too never too late. Yeah, well, I, yeah. I know one of the things I've learnt is most people that get into commercial are much older than residential. You mm. know, it's sort of like an end of game strategy. Like once you've got your resi portfolio or you've got some good successful business and you've just got boatloads of cash, like that's the space commercial investor historically is – drawn people from. But nowadays, because of the price of residential and how low yields are, there's more sense for younger people to get into this space and start younger. And um, that's the reason I got into it because yeah. I just couldn't stack things up properly with resi. I had a number of residential properties and if I bought more, I probably would have just got into a pickle, you know, yeah. just more debt, less cash flow. And, uh, and there's, nothing, actually, there's nothing nice about owning a lot of residential property. No. And that's I was thinking- hot, It sounds bad, but it's, it's an absolute headache. Yeah, I was thinking like, because I always think worst case scenario with everything. What yeah. if the GFC hit and it was really bad on property this time and I've got 20 resi properties? Mm. I just think, what would the banks be looking at? What would they call loans in? Like, what if prices drop 20%? Like, if you've got that type of portfolio, you yeah. are at risk of that worst case scenario. Now, if it hit, I'm fine. I'll sit through it. Got the cash flow. Even if the rents, you know, halve, it's still more than covering everything um, yeah. because of de-risked the residential side of things due to the, you know, improving cash flow, yeah. essentially. That's good. Cash flow is king. It's good, Brett. Well, so when, when's the big day? When do you get the keys? Uh, we're looking at settlement in about three weeks, I think. Okay, cool. Yeah. How are you going to celebrate the settlement? Uh, bottle of my way and, you know, probably look at the Brisbane skyline, something like that. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. I think, so, yeah. So go, what next? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what I think next? these kind of, these moments in life, you probably just need to stop and smell the roses and celebrate them because it's, yeah, look, it's been a a uh, bumpy road. Yeah, you know, but um, yeah, it's definitely gonna be worth it in the well, end. It sounds like you got the right philosophy, and you know, going into these things knowing that things aren't perfect is is often the best way because then you really can't get too disappointed. How, how long you have to wait in the wings until you're ready to go again? Do you reckon? We do plan on actually uh, moving closer to the city okay. and um, get some tenants for our home mm. and go out on the sort of the rent game again. Okay. Um, so, yeah, look, there's a bit of equity left in the home. You know, we'll have a look and see when the dust settles on this property, yeah. you know, maybe within the next year, hopefully we can pull the trigger on something else. 
All right. Well, let us know when you do that. So thanks for coming and having you on to us today. It's been a privilege. You know, it's Thank been you. really good. And uh, there's stories we like, aren't they, Scott? You know, real world stories of, you know, just average Australian, you know. I'm average an average Australian. Standard Aussie bloke. I don't, I don't know how <laughs> average Scott is, uh, but uh, us average Australians, Brett, just trying to get by, dabbling in real estate. Uh, Brett Parham is uh, a client of the team over Rethink Investing. Scott, um, it's good. Let's get some more guests in, mate. That's, That's your homework. I like it. Track them down. Maybe we can get someone in maybe the other end of the uh, – you normally find that the commercial investors at the other end of the, the cycle – don't really like to say too much. But, they're uh, quite secretive. Uh, yeah. uh, their friends don't know what they own. There's yeah. a bit of a lot of that. A lot yeah. of that. Yeah, keep it on. You can come in, come in and give us a fake name. There we go. Yeah. We're going to put a little fancy voice distorter on there so people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, no, uh, I've got someone in mind that is pretty open to talk. So, yeah, um, all right. Yeah, we'll That's make it good. happen. All right. And people want any questions, anything, ideas, any. Any comments for us, info at Rethink Investing is where it's at. Is that the best way to get in touch with you and your team as well? Yep, yep. and uh, keep them coming. Like I said, there's been a lot in the last uh, month and, yeah, we, we really benefit from it. Like we want to keep growing this podcast mm. and being a community tool for this this investment class because I don't think there really is any other out there that has the you know the volume of listeners. So, yeah, if we're going down a track that you'd rather go a, a different direction. Tell us. All ears. Yeah, we like uh, constructive criticism. That's what makes this thing get better. Do that info at rethinkinvesting.com.au. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Uh, Phil Tarrant, and uh, I'm um, Executive Editor of Real Estate here at Momentum Media. Scott O'Neill, Director, Founder of Rethink Investing. We'll see you next time. Until then, bye-bye.